Section 93 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 124. London, November 19th, Old Style, 1750. My dear friend, I was very glad to find by your letter of the 12th, New Style, that you had informed yourself so well of the state of the French Marine at Toulon, and of the commerce at Marseilles. They are objects that deserve the inquiry and attention of every man who intends to be concerned in public affairs. The French are now wisely attentive to both. Their commerce is incredibly blessed within these last thirty years. They have beaten us out of a great part of our Levant trade. Their East India trade has greatly affected ours, and in the West Indies their Martinico establishment supplies, not only France itself, but the greatest part of Europe, with sugars, whereas our islands, as Jamaica, Barbados, and the Leeward, have now no other market for theirs but England. New France, or Canada, has also greatly lessened our fur and skin trade. It is true, as you say, that we have no treaty of commerce subsisting. I do not say with Marseilles, but with France. There was a treaty of commerce made between England and France immediately after the Treaty of Utrecht, but the whole treaty was conditional, and to depend upon the Parliament's enacting certain things which were stipulated in two of the articles. The Parliament, after a very famous debate, would not do it so the treaty fell to the ground. However, the outlines of that treaty are, by mutual and tacit consent, the general rules of our present commerce with France. It is true, too, that our commodities which go to France must go in our bottoms, the French having imitated in many respects our famous act of navigation, as it is commonly called. This act was made in the year 1652, in the Parliament held by Oliver Cromwell. It forbids all foreign ships to bring into England any merchandise or commodities whatsoever that were not of the growth and produce of that country to which those ships belonged, under penalty of the forfeiture of such ships. This act was particularly levelled at the Dutch, who were at that time the carriers of almost all Europe, and got immensely rich by freight. Upon this principle, of the advantages arising from freight, there is a provision in the same act, that even the growth and produce of our own colonies in America shall not be carried from thence to any other country in Europe, without first touching in England. But this clause has lately been repealed, in the instances of some perishable commodities, such as rice, etc., which are allowed to be carried directly from our American colonies to other countries. The Act also provides that two-thirds, I think, of those who navigate the said ships shall be British subjects, there is an excellent and little book written by the famous Monsieur Huet Uvec de Vranche, sur le commerce des anciens, which is very well worth your reading, and very soon read. It will give you a clear notion of the rise and progress of commerce. There are many other books which take up the history of commerce where Monsieur d'Avranche leaves it, and bring it down to these times. I advise you to read some of them with care, commerce being a very essential part of political knowledge in every country but more particularly in that which owes all its riches and power to it. I come now to another part of your letter, which is the orthography, if I may call bad spelling orthography. You spell induce, E-N-D-U-C-E, and grandeur, you spell G-R-A-N-D-U-R-E, two faults of which very few of my housemaids would have been guilty. I must tell you that orthography, in the true sense of the word, is so absolutely necessary for a man of letters, or a gentleman, that one false spelling may fix ridicule upon him for the rest of his life, and I know a man of quality, 
who never recovered the ridicule of having spelled wholesome without the W. Reading with care will secure everybody from false spelling, for books are always well spelled, according to the orthography of the times. Some words are indeed doubtful, being spelled differently by different authors of equal authority, but those are few, and in those cases every man has his option, because he may plead his authority either way. But where there is but one right way, as in the two words above mentioned, it is unpardonable and ridiculous for a gentleman to miss it. Even a woman of a tolerable education would despise and laugh at a lover, who should send her an ill-spelled billet doux. I fear and suspect that you have taken it into your head in most cases, that the matter is all, and the manner little or nothing. If you have, undeceive yourself, and be convinced that, in everything, the manner is full as important as the matter. If you speak the sense of an angel, in bad words and with a disagreeable utterance, nobody will hear you twice. Who can help it? If you write epistles as well as Cicero, but in a very bad hand, and very ill-spelled, whoever receives will laugh at them, and if you had the figure of Adonis, with an awkward air and motions, it will disgust instead of pleasing. Study manner, therefore, in everything, if you would be anything. My principal inquiries of my friends at Paris concerning you will be relative to the manner of your doing whatever you do. I shall not inquire whether you understand Demosthenes, Tacitus, or the Jus Publicum Imperii, but I shall inquire whether your utterance is pleasing, your style not only pure but elegant, your manners noble and easy, your air and address engaging, in short, whether you are a gentleman, a man of fashion, and fit to keep good company, or not. For till I am satisfied in these particulars, you and I must by no means meet. I could not possibly stand it. It is in your power to become all this at Paris, if you please. Consult with Lady Hervey and Madame Monconcile upon all these matters, and they will speak to you and advise you freely. Tell them that bisogna compatire ancora, that you are utterly new in the world, that you are desirous to form yourself, that you beg they will reprove, advise, and correct you, that you know that none can do it so well, and that you will implicitly follow their orders. This, together with your careful observation of the manners of the best company, will really form you. Abbe Guasco, a friend of mine, will come to you as soon as he knows of your arrival at Paris. He is well received in the best companies there, and will introduce you to them. He will be desirous to do you any service he can. He is active and curious, and can give you information upon most things. He is a sort of complaisant of the President Montesquieu, to whom you have a letter. I imagine that this letter will not wait very long for you at Paris, where I reckon you will be in about a fortnight. Adieu. End of section 93. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.